All right, go ahead and grab a seat, if you will. And grab your Bibles. Oh, I appreciated Butch's words this morning for our communion thought. And Paul and team, thank you so much for leading us so beautifully this morning. I, I got to tell you, I was kind of excited to hear Butch sing a little bit this morning. Uh, he'd make, you know, he, he'd fit right in with a lot of us. I mean, a lot of us are sort of prison singers. You know what a prison singer is, right? They're behind four or five bars and they can't find the right key to get out. So, um, anyway. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. If you're a guest, welcome. I want you to know this is a sweet family of imperfect people following a perfect God. And our hope, our desire is simply that we be able to put Jesus on display in such a way that we can set up sort of the first date between him and our community. Because we want everyone to know how good our God is and that life is found in Jesus. Can I get an amen from anyone? I promise that'll be the last time, maybe, that I ask you to do that this morning. We're in a series this week, and this month rather, called Simply Christmas. And it's just a look at the season in which we find ourselves. And the bottom line, the big idea has been simply this, that Christmas, when you strip it all down, the glitz, the glamour, the tinsel, the lights, the big fat guy with the red suit, all those fun things, when you take all that off the table... You find that it's about a moment in time when our God entered human history. And he said, enough is enough. I'm coming to make things new. And so at Christmas, if you just want sort of the bottom line and you can go to sleep or you can work on your Christmas to-do list, that's fine. But let me give you sort of the big bottom line of the series real quick. One more time. Go ahead and put this up. Christmas is for two things. Number one, it's remembering Jesus' birth and anticipating Jesus's return. We'll kind of get a little bit more into that second one next week. And by the way, next Sunday is going to be an awesome, awesome day together. You do not want to miss it. We will not have uh, sort of the, the uh, class hour. We'll have a combined worship. It's going to be a wonderful time at 1045 next week. You do not want to miss being here. But for one more time, I want us to look at this idea of remembering Jesus's birth. Now, I know because I'm just like you. When I was little, the story of Christmas was exciting. It was thrilling. We would hear the story about the angel and the shepherds and the wise men and the manger. We would hear all those details and we'd go, wow, how cool. But have you noticed that as you hear something over and 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 over? That at some point, what once was miraculous becomes mundane. You know, you, there are these things that you kind of go, wow, that was incredible. But then you get so familiar with it, you're no longer wowed by it. See, here's the deal. I may not be old, but I'm old enough to remember the days before we had cell phones. How many of you remember the days when you were stuck at home because you were waiting for that call? You remember this? You'd be telling a friend, I can't go out. I can't go there. I have to stay home. Why? Because I'm expecting a call. And so we thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just find some way to carry this thing with us so we were not stuck at home? And so the first thing we did... We created a brick. 
You guys remember this brick. Many of you saw this brick. Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell carried this brick. Hello. And so, as you know, this brick, it was great. It was about 45 pounds, and it was portable if you were a weightlifter. And then they said, okay, you can now go with this. And then they came up with one that you could put in your car. You remember the the cancer-inducing box that sat next to you in the car, and so you were now portable. You could leave your home, but you couldn't leave your car. If only someone would come up with something that was a bit more portable, a bit easier to carry, and so they finally came up with something. And first it could only call people, but then it began to do other things. It could check your mail and your texts. It could get you online. It could tell you how long you would be waiting to go over the bridge to the other side because of traffic. It was amazing. But now, that was last year's model. What does this year's model do? That was amazing then. Mundane now. Family, I do not want you to go through this season missing the miracle of the moment. Because if you will grab onto it, sink the teeth of your heart into the story, it will change every one of your days in 2019 and for eternity. So once again, let's return to a familiar but anything but than mundane story. In Matthew's Gospel, same passage we looked at last week, but there's a portion we skipped. We're going to get into that this morning. So return me now to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. She'll give birth to a child and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us with us. This morning, if you're taking notes, you can scratch out the title on the back of the bulletin because the title this morning is simply those three words, God with us. Because that's what the word Emmanuel means, Emmanuel. We've heard it so often, the name means nothing to us. But let's, for just a few minutes this morning, this will not be a sermon, this will be more of a reflection this morning. And I just want us to look at those three words, God, with, and us. Go ahead and put this up. God, with, us. Each one of those words, what does it mean that Jesus is God? What does it mean that he is God with us? And what does it mean that he is God with us? Three words, three thoughts. He's God. 
Now, when we hear this, we've heard it so often, again, we think nothing of it. But pause with me for just one moment and consider the reality of Jesus or anyone or anything being God. Now, we've all seen the movie, haven't we, where the aliens come to planet Earth. And depending on the movie, they either come to destroy us or they come to save us. And they bring their sophisticated technology. Maybe it's some sort of ray. Maybe it's some sort of pod. Maybe it's some sort of cocoon. Maybe it's some sort of thing. And whatever it is, it is so far advanced beyond what we know, it revolutionizes life, either destroys humanity or elevates humanity. But hear me, humanity is never the same after they visit. This is not the story of an alien coming to planet Earth. This is the story about the one who authored creation stepping into the story that he authored. We're told in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he did not do it with chisel and hammer. He did it with words. Let there be light and light exploded out across the cosmos. Let there be heavens and earths, and there were. Let there be water, let there be land, let there be animals, let there be stars, let there be sky, let there be galaxies, let there be life, let there be you, let there be me, let there be weird little things like platypuses. Let there, is platypuses, is that like a, I don't know, platypi, whatever. And he said, let there be, and there were. And then this very God who spoke in all of creation came in beautiful three-dimensional color. And then at this moment in history, he says, I'm going to pour myself into three-dimensional space. Somehow God is formed, filtered, pressed into human flesh, and he steps into the story that he authored. I love what N.T. Wright says. He's a theologian and he talks about how God interacts with us in the way that Shakespeare might interact with Hamlet. He writes this beautiful story and he then looks at this story and he says, how would I interact with Hamlet? Well, I would write myself into the story. And so this is the moment where God writes himself into human history. Hear me now. If he is able to insert himself into history, then as easily as an author can hit the backspace and delete certain undesirable words, this is the same God who is so powerful. He can delete your past, those moments you are ashamed of, afraid of, you worry about. He is also the God who's able to write a new end to your story because he is God. He is, get this now, all-powerful. Which means, church, if he truly is all-powerful, then our response will only ever be one of complete devotion or complete indifference. There will never be one of us who can simply say, I'll take him sort of. He is either Lord indeed or he is Lord not at all. Emmanuel, God, he is all-powerful. With, what does this word with mean? Well, let's think for a moment here. The idea of what it would look like if God came. See, the ancient world did not have a hard time thinking about or envisioning the God or gods coming into human history. After all, their myths were all about the God's interaction. So if you were to go back 
a few thousand years and interact with the Greeks or the Romans or the Mesopotamians or the the Canaanites or whomever, if you were to interact and were to ask them, tell us about the gods who come among you, they would tell you stories about great empowered deities who came, who interacted. But if you said, what were they like? They would shudder. Because they were not benevolent. They were to be feared because they were jealous, selfish, capricious. Let me give you an example. Let's go backwards for many of us into high school literature. How many of you remember the story, the Trojan War? And so you get to this story. According to legend, the Trojan War began, if you read some of the old pieces, whether it's the Iliad or the Aeneid, or whether you read some of the old writings, you know that they believe that this war began not with humans interacting, but with capricious, jealous gods. You know the story. You have three goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. They're all arguing, who's the most beautiful one of us all? And so they say to the king of the gods, Zeus, hey, Zeus, we got a little disagreement here. We want you to put on a cosmic beauty pageant and be the judge for us. Could you do that? And Zeus, although he was a god, he is also a man, was smart enough to know this will go very bad for me if I choose to do it. After all, if I say you're the most beautiful, but you ain't, I'm going to have two goddesses mad at me. And so he says, ladies, let me give you a better idea. There's this young man. His name is Paris. He's a sheep herder. He is a man of impeccable character, and he judges very wisely. Why don't you go ask him? And so they do. They appear in human form in front of this young man, Paris, and they say, who's the most beautiful? And he picks Aphrodite. After all, she's the goddess of love. And she says, as a reward for picking me, you will have the love of the most beautiful woman in the world. Only problem, she's already married. Her name is Helen of Troy. And this is, according to legend, what began the Trojan War. When the gods came, it was not to bless. It wrecked human history. It destroyed people. So is this how God will come? Because you need to understand, God simply coming is not good news. It is only good news depending on the kind of character this God has. So will he be like the ancient gods who were capricious and malevolent? Or will he come even as the Old Testament God, Yahweh? Will he show up in fire and smoke and thunder? You remember the stories throughout the Old Testament when God showed up, people were terrified. In fact... If you want to, later this week, go to Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments portion, but there's a section right at the end of that where the people have an interaction with God and it so terrifies them. They look at Moses and they say, Hey Moses, tell you what, why not you go talk to God, let him share with you what he wants, and then you just come and kind of give us the Cliff Notes version. But don't let him talk to us directly, for if he does, we will die. Is this how God would come? As fire and thunder and smoke. Is that the picture of God? Notice this. He is the God with us. He is always present. Always personal. And notice the way he comes. Not as a king. Not as a fireball. He comes as a baby. In fact, if you listen, you'll hear the sweet sounds of some children in our church right now. By the way, mamas, daddies, don't be embarrassed. We love the sound of your kids in here. You know why? Living things make noise. 
And this is a living church, and we are so grateful for the little ones in our midst. But why a baby? You know. There has never been a terrifying baby. Now, I know some of you are saying, you have not seen my, to- my toddler at 2 a.m. Okay, fine. There's that. But when you see a baby, they're cute, they're squishy, they're not intimidating. The worst thing they can do is try to gnaw you to death, but they have no teeth. It would be gumming you to death. Death by saliva, not scary. He comes as a baby. How many of you know what it's like to bring your newborn child into church? In fact, years ago I was at a church, not here, but a church in Texas, and there was a new mama, brand new mama. She's just this young lady, had the glow. She had her baby. But because she knew what so many of you know, churches have some germs in them, and people like to do what with babies? Oh, he's so cute, you're so cute. Yeah. And because of that, she brought her baby in the little carry thing, and she had a mosquito net over it. Translated, no touchy, okay? Because we're not scared to touch, to approach, to be near a baby. And he comes as not that which is terrifying, but inviting God with us. There's this beautiful story that years ago, a man, go ahead and you can put that back up there named Paul Harvey told. Many of you will remember that name. He was a legend on radio telling stories that captivated the mind of American people for years until really his death in 2009. My father would often play his radio program in the car as we would travel places and of course he had such a great voice. And he'd end every broadcast with good day. And I remember one day he told a story, and I've heard others repeat it, and although they try, no one can share it the way that Paul Harvey does. But it's a story of a man on one Christmas Eve many years ago, and maybe you've heard the story. He was not a particularly bad person. He just wasn't all that interested in church. Couldn't really wrap his mind around this idea of a God coming To be one of us. I mean, after all, that's an outlandish, far-fetched story. And so, as his wife and kids had done for many years, they prepared themselves for the Christmas Eve service at their church. And she, the mom, the wife, she says to her husband, would you just come this year? And he says, sweetheart, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't buy it. I don't want to... You guys go have fun. I've got my books. I've got the fire. I'll see you when you get home. I'll wait up, though. And so they leave and he sits in his big overstuffed chair and you know the story. He begins to read one of his books, The Crackle of the Fire, The Warmth Around Him. When all of a sudden the stillness of the night is broken with the sound of a small thud against the window of his living room. And he looks out the window and he sees a bird there and just at that moment another thump against the window and another bird lands and then another and he realizes that these birds must have been traveling trying to go south for the winter but somehow got off course and now we're outside in the chill with the snow and he thinks what an interesting situation he sits back down and continues to read when it begins to dawn on him these little birds if someone does not intervene they're going to freeze to death and so he thinks well 
what can I do? And he remembers he has the barn out back where his little kids used to put their pony. So he goes out, he swings wide the doors, turns the light on so it's warm and inviting. The light sort of streaming out. And he goes back inside thinking, surely the birds will see the light. Surely the birds will feel the warmth of the barn and they'll go inside. But minutes later turn into 15, 20, and he realizes they've not gone in, and he begins to worry. After all, these little creatures, who's going to take care of them? So he goes, I know, I'll get food. So he goes, he gets bread and bird seed, a little combination, and he makes a trail from the barn out to where they were. He goes back inside, he begins to watch. The warmth of the light, the bird seed, the trail, and they do nothing. They will not go toward the warmth, to the light. And he thinks, well, I know what I'll do. So he tries everything. If food doesn't work, I'll try to scare them into the barn. So he goes out behind them, he waves his arm, and he tries to scare them and shoo them into the barn, but they they just scatter. And then they come back to the same spot repeatedly, over and over and over. Minutes have turned into hours, and at this point he is beginning to worry about these little birds. And he thinks, what do I do? And then it dawned on him, he's like, if only I could become a little bird, if I could become like one of them, then I could show them where warmth is, where safety is. I could show them and they could follow me and then they would be okay. And as he finished this thought across the snowy landscape comes the peal of church bells. And he realizes that is what God did that the story is not so far-fetched, but God himself said, fear will not draw them to me. Provision does not draw them to me. If I will come as one of them, then I can show them where light and life is found. This is the God with us, Emmanuel. But it's with us. Now, if you're like me, you want to know who is this us. After all, our world has been and is divided between the us and the thems. And you know the us's and the thems. For instance, every four years, we have an us-them moment in politics, don't we? Who'd you vote for? Well, I voted for so-and-so. But they, them, they voted for so-and-so. Us, them. We have us and them even in what we eat. Have you noticed this? There are those who eat meat and those who eat tofu. No jokes, just food, okay? Us, them. Uh, We have us and them in sports, right? So we have, well, we have Vanderbilt versus Tennessee. We have Tennessee versus Alabama. We have Alabama versus Auburn. And the whole church says whatever you're going to say, right? We have us and them. So who? Jesus is the us. Who are you for? Who are you against? How can we be an us and we know all of the thems and the brilliant, scandalous message of the Christmas story is he came for all of us, for all people. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you've done. And as if to give the exclamation point to the message of Christmas, Jesus says, let me demonstrate 
how I'm for you through the rest of my life. I'm for the shepherd who is so poor and who is an outcast because his very profession makes him ceremonially unclean. He cannot go into the temple to be in the presence of God, yet I am for him, I am with him, I am with her, the us's of the world. I'm also for the rich and the powerful pagan who's coming from far away to give tribute to me, the magi, the magicians of the east. He is for, Jesus says, a woman caught in the most scandalous moment of her life. He is for a man named Peter who when he promised he would never deny ends up cursing and saying, I don't know Jesus. He says, That's who I'm for. You need to understand, we've all been wrong to believe that the world was divided. Us versus them. The world has been divided from Genesis 3, not us versus them, but us versus him. And he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose, so that you and I would not be a them, but he could say, I want to be us together. This is the message of Christmas, family. That God, the one who spoke it all, is now present. He is with all who will accept him. And he wants all of us to accept him. So you say, Josh, how do I become an us? And the answer is not try harder. It's to go lower. You say, go lower, what do you mean? There's an old legend that that place where Jesus was born was probably a cave, a little inlet cut into a stone mountain. And the legend is that the entrance into this larger space was very narrow and very short. And whether you are a peasant shepherd or a royal magi, if you wanted to come near to the Christ child, all it took was that you would kneel down to enter in. To be in us is not about doing or trying. It's simply kneeling before the child who is God and say, all of me before you now. This is the word, the name, the title. Emmanuel. God with us. In just a moment, we're going to have a moment to come and be a part of the us. But before we do, I want to show you something. There's a song that earlier this week, Phil and Jana Cannon showed to the rest of the staff, and it was just one of those beautiful moments where the words of a song became real in this season that we find ourselves In fact, a moment before I got up here, my son said, hey, we saw this great song, and I didn't tell him, but that's the same one we're going to show the rest of you. So over the next about three and a half minutes, I'm going to invite you as you listen to this song, would you begin to ask God for what you need? This morning, do you need simply God, someone who's big enough, more powerful than your circumstance, more powerful than your past, who's able to cosmically clean that which you have messed up. Do you need that? If you do, then Emmanuel, God, is available. 
For some, you just need to know that you are not alone in your struggle. You are not alone in this moment. You need not just God, but you need with you a present companion. And for others in here, you don't need to know that he's super powerful. You don't need to know that he is always present. You just need to know that there is a way into the family, that he is not against you, but he is for you, that he came for you and he died for you so that you don't have to, but you may be drawn into the light. So whatever you find yourself this morning, as we listen to these words over the next moment, consider what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be your Emmanuel. Let's listen to this song.